The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Talk is Jericho. It's a big day. The pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's episode 500. And we're celebrating it with a legendary guest, one of my all time favorites, my friend, rock and roll Hall of Famer, pioneer, friend of the show, the star child, Paul Stanley is back. Hey! It looks like we're going to have ourselves a rock and roll party tonight! He's going to help us mark this incredible occasion. He was the uh, 100th episode guest, and now he's the 500 episode guest. Over 11 million downloads in 2018 alone. Millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of downloads in the course of the 500 shows. I appreciate all of you who have listened for one of the shows or all 500 of them, if you can put up with me for that long. We started back in December of 2013. The very first guest was who? Stone Cold Steve Austin. There you go. And here we are at show number 500 with Paul Stanley returning to Talk is Jericho. And of course, we have grown so much. You can listen to Talk is Jericho now, not just on iTunes, uh, not just on Apple Podcasts. How about on Spotify? How about on Google Home and Alexa Smart Speakers? And of course, Apple Podcasts, like I said. So thank you, all you guys, you sexy beast Talk is Jericho listeners, for listening twice a week and for supporting our sponsors, making it possible to keep doing this show and bringing uh, you all of these great guests week after week for free. I couldn't do it without you uh, back when we were on Podcast One. Now that we're on Westwood One, so many great guests. I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, actually, most of the shows have been really good. There's been a couple kind of stinkers that I didn't like, but the majority of the shows have been a lot of fun as I continue my quest to give you interesting guests from people that I know you're going to like. Uh, I know you're going to have fun listening to. Whether you are fans of them or not, the idea is for you to listen and then become fans of them. Uh, that's just happened a few weeks ago with who was it that was on the show uh, maybe asking Alexandria no one, someone said I'd never listened to you guys now I listened uh, you know lots of great stuff so I got a little trivia question for you go to at talk is Jericho and answer this who was my 100th guest I just told you who was my 200th guest my 300 guest my 400 guest and now my 500 guest I got a clue for you the first uh, the 100 and 500 are the same guy Paul Stanley so who was 200 300 400 if you can tell me those three names uh, tell me all five Five names just because I like things to be complete. I will give you a, a little present. 
Okay, so do that at Talk is Jericho. It's Talk is Jericho 500. Uh, hashtag Talk is Jericho 500. We have been here uh, for five years almost, like I said, 500 great episodes. We got no intentions of going anywhere. We're going to continue rolling and continue rolling with Paul Stanley as he returns to the show. And this time I wanted to talk about the solo records, the 1978 Kiss solo albums. Of course, Paul Stanley, Ace Frehley, Gene Simmons, and Peter Chris all released solo records on the same day. The first time and only time time in rock and roll history i believe that uh, that's ever happened september 18th 1978 is when the four solo albums came out so just over 40 years ago uh, never been done before never been done since paul talks about the circumstances that led to the uh, all the members doing solo albums at the same time who came up with the idea to do coordinating cover art what he thought about everyone else's records he's got some uh, surprising reviews about jeans and aces and peters paul's also talking about the cult movie kiss meets the phantom of the park we did a watch along with that with team tiger awesome a few months ago what he thought about the movie as they were shooting it, how he felt about it after its release, and what he feels about it to this day. Plus, if you want to know about Paul's paintings, uh, if you want to know who designed the new Kiss Puma sneakers, well, that's Paul as well. He'll explain about how, how that whole thing came together, what inspired the idea. Paul Stanley uh, inspired me. The only people that are going to tell you can't do something are ones that have failed. I'm not going to tell you can't do something because I did it. You can do it. That's Paul's motto to this day. Another great conversation. It's the fourth time Paul has been on uh, Talk is Jericho, episode 100. We filmed that backstage at a Kiss show in Vegas. Then he was on to talk about the 40th anniversary of Alive back in 2015. He was on to talk about the 25th anniversary of Revenge, which was uh, back in 2017. Now here we are to talk about the 40th anniversary of the Kiss solo records. Paul Stanley is back. Uh, it's history. And speaking of history, Fozzie making some of our own histories. We get ready to play shows in New Zealand for the first time ever. Then we're heading to Australia and Canada right after Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at CT takes place we'll give you more information about that uh november 7th auckland at the studio november 9th melbourne at max watts november 10th sydney at manning bar november 13th adelaide at the gov november 14th brisbane at the triffid vips available for all those shows and tickets at fozzyrock.com don't forget vips from melbourne and sydney are sold out and don't forget the judas rising tour then hits canada moncton on november 21st the 23rd is Halifax, the 24th, Quebec City, 25th at Montreal. Those are all with three days grace. Then we go on our own solo tour on November 26th, Arn Prior at the John Street. That is sold out. November 27th, London at the London Music Hall is getting close to selling out. November 28th at Toronto at the Rock Pile. 30th in Thunder Bay, uh, December 1st in Winnipeg at the Burton Cummings Theater, homecoming show. Uh, the December 2nd, Regina at the Exchange. The 3rd is Edmonton at the Starlight Room. And Calgary, December 4th, the final show of the Judas Rising Tour. The entire tour after 19 months of being on the road is at the Gateway. That's at FozzyRock.com for all ticket information and all VIP information. Come rock with us for VIP. Uh, private concert just for you. Hanging out, signing, meeting, greeting, all that great stuff. FozzyRock.com. All details on how to make it happen. And what's happening right now is the return of Paul Stanley. The Star Child kicks off episode 500 right here. Welcome. Happy birthday to Talk is Jericho. And Paul Stanley is back. I tell y'all, I got this feeling. Tonight's going to be one of those hot nights. Yeah. We're going to get this place hotter than hell. All right. So returning for the fourth time, Paul Stanley. The champ, yeah, champ returning champ. for the fourth time, <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen, yes. Paul Stanley, and also uh, it's my 500th show. Congratulations! You're officially the 500th guest. You're, you're a very uh, industrious and very productive person. I, I actually gave you a shout out in my new book. You did? Yes, I did. 
And what? Because uh, okay, your new book is is kind of about like Just, it's almost self help motivation. Yeah, you know, I look. I'm no I'm nobody to tell people how to live, but I can certainly tell you how I've done what I've done. And if you can grab something from that, terrific. I I uh, everybody who's seen the book loves it. So it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, exciting and uh, i i just referenced you just in terms of going against the status quo saying what you can do you're not tall enough you're too short mm-hmm. you're this you're that and ultimately you can do whatever you want you, you know you, there's no shortage of people telling you what's impossible those are always the people who failed but you know what it, it, it this is such a cool moment for me it's like when you met jimmy page or something because my last book which you wrote the forward for which was great is based around you know these lessons that I've learned over the years to get to where I was, and I, I told you all the time that quote that you gave in the Western Civilization movie that you probably don't even really remember saying, but you know the only people that tell you can't do something are ones that have failed, mm. right? And that was kind of a real inspiration to me. And here you are in your book saying that I do these things. It's because of that line in that movie. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Look, there are, there are certain things in life that have stood the test of time because they're true. And sometimes things I say may come off as corny, but they're true. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's uh, the only thing really standing between you and success is hard work. Mm-hmm. As long as you're you're somewhat rational in, in your expectations. If I had decided I was going to become a a rocket scientist, I'd be on the corner begging for food. But <laughs> even if something sounds impossible to one person, if in your gut, if you really know you have it in you, then all you got to do is, is work to make it happen. The only person who loses out either way, if you quit, is you. And the only person who misses out, you know, by, by not following your instincts is you. It's, uh, it's all there for the taking. And it's, it's amazing because I, I want to talk about about solo records, but I want to talk about some of these other things that you mentioned. You just were gracious enough to. to it's been a great Paul Stanley week for me the, between the painting, mm. which was amazing. Thank you. I got that in the mail, uh, and then the Pumas that you just gave me a pair of are sold out. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about first off, and you told me a little bit, but the, the Puma thing. Right. You've always been a shoe guy. Right. How did you get this deal going, and, and how is the shoes done? It, there's no again there's no secret um <laughs> you pick up the phone or you email somebody and you i just went hey i looked at shoes and i looked at the shoes i had and shoes other people had and i went i can do that so uh through a friend i got in touch with uh, the ceo at puma now obviously everybody can't do that but when i meet people who are successful in my field or other fields and they go how did you do that i go you pick up the phone. You know, opportunities are there. That's always interesting to me when people talk about luck. Luck is just seeing opportunities other people don't see. So what did I do? I emailed Puma, and then I got a phone number, and I said, hey, I can design shoes. I've designed stages. I've designed costumes. Um, costumes. Yeah. I've designed album covers. And they said, really? They, what do you have in mind? And I Photoshopped and put together... The two shoes, guess what, that they're making? The Puma Suede and the Puma Breaker, the the one with the animal prints on the fur and the other one, uh, the Zebra Suede ones. And, uh, gee, I mean, it's, it, 
I'm sometimes surprised by the obstacles that people have in their lives, and many times those obstacles are self-made. Hmm. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that everybody has the opportunities that I do, but on some level, hell yeah, you do. You know what I like about it too, though, is it's not like Kiss. Like I'm sure you had shoes in the '70s that just had the Kiss logo over, which is. But this is this is Paul Stanley. Right. That's the brand, and the shoes are obviously very very stylish and well designed. But then again, you also have a huge fan base that buys everything that you put out as long as it's quality. So coming right from your hand, the shoes that you mentioned, they sold out. Right. They're, they're internationally, they're they're basically gone. So they're well, what they're doing, they're relaunching, they're manufacturing again and putting, doing it all over again. So I live by the adage that if you please yourself, you'll please someone else because we're all basically the same. Mm-hmm. So if I... If I make something that I like or would like, then somebody else is going to feel the same. When Kiss got together, that was really what we wanted to be, the band we never saw. We wanted to be, as members of the audience, we wanted to be the band that we hoped to see. Mm -hmm. It was a no-brainer. Rock and Brews is the restaurant that I'd like to be able to go to and have great food in 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 a cool, relaxed atmosphere. The Pumas, the Pumas are... You know, um, interestingly, when I wear them on the street or when other people I know wear them, people come over and go, where'd you get those? What are those? So it's not blind kiss adulation. It's cool. Well, you always said, too, like, and I say this, too, when when people say, like, for Fozzie, now we have this three hits now off this record. It's going great. But people said when you first started and it was just the wrestling guy, I always say every band has some sort of gimmick. Kiss has face paint. Fozzie has the wrestler. Slipknot wears masks. But that only lasts for the first picture or the first time you see it. If the music isn't good, if the product isn't good, no one's going to come back and no one's going to champion your band. If something is just based on a gimmick, it will entertain people once, maybe mm-hmm. twice. But that'll that'll never sustain anything. So if you don't know why you became successful in the first place you'll never be able to sustain it mm-hmm. so unless there's something i i make the analogy you can have a car that's painted awesome but if there's no engine it ain't going anywhere mm-hmm. so really a lot of things in life are, are like that so look at you with the the cruise mm-hmm. how awesome is that uh, that's uh yeah kudos you. to you to be smart enough to see the potential of that uh, i remember you told me and i just went well, that's a no-brainer. Go do it. Yeah. It's, uh, again, it's not luck. It's a matter of, of seeing the opportunity and, and grabbing it. And it's also the same mindset you just said. I put all the stuff on the cruise that I would want to do, you know, whether it's the music, whether it's live podcasts, comedians, paranormal, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the wrestling on the ship, because I have a great fan base that kind of trusts my instincts. If I'm telling you that this is going to be good, most people will... Trust me on that. And that, that takes a lot of years to get that as well. Right. And that's, that's because people relate to you and mm-hmm. because over time you've shown them that basically you're, you're like them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and whether, whether you're in their economic strata, at the end of the day, it's really, um, I have a great house, I have a great this and a great that, but I just came back from the supermarket, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is all great, but most of my life is very much like other people's. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to touch on the paintings. Was this something you've always done? No, no. I only started painting about 18 years ago. 
and uh, I was going through a, a tough time, and a friend of mine said, you should paint. And I was like, that was really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I went out and bought paints and canvases and didn't know what the hell I was going to do, didn't know where to start, but it was awesome. It was just, it was kind of purging. It was just, I, I painted without any sense of knowing what I was going to do. And at that point, it was really pretty cathartic. I, I never painted with the idea of showing anybody. When I had a couple of pieces early on that I thought were good, I hung them in the house for me. But when people would come over the house, they said, who did that piece? So that's how it started. And once I somebody cajoled me or, or, or got me to do a, a, a show, I was stunned that I made money, that people paid me. Um, not because I didn't think it was worthwhile, but... I didn't do it for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the same thing. It, it, just doing things that make you happy will make other people happy. So it's like 18 years later, and uh, yeah, last count, we were over $10 million. That's and, um, unbelievable. Yeah, and and my shows are, I have another one in, 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 I think, about two weeks, and they're phenomenal. And it's great. I have a ball, and... Uh, a lot of people who collect artists that I really respect uh, acquire my pieces. And then I'm also happy that people who really don't have any prior knowledge of art get an invitation in, in a sense. I don't want people to be intimidated. Mm-hmm. I want people to come and experience something and know that your opinion is valid because it's your opinion. You don't have to explain. You don't need an education. Not that different than when I did Phantom. I loved that people were coming to theater, not just the regular theater goers who I actually had to impress, but other people who never been to the theater because they thought it was uh, something for like rich people who clap with white gloves on or something. (laughs) And so anytime I can break down those barriers, I want people to enjoy their lives. And if I can be a part of that in some way, it makes me really happy and it makes them happy. Do you remember what the first thing first painting you did was? Yeah. There were there was a few that that came pretty much in succession and one's hang the first one I hung in the house is still hanging in the house and it's still unsigned because I was so self-conscious. I didn't want anybody to come in the house and <laughs> and either judge the painting based on my signature. So to this day that one's unsigned and then uh what is it of? It's a circle. Oh. It's called Green Planet. And uh, I loved it then. I love it now. And it means a lot to me because the original's still in the house, but the series of, of uh, reproductions, chaclays as they're called, or, or, or other prints just sell out all the time. So this has been phenomenal. It really That, that was amazing to me because I was like, I want to get like a Paul Stanley painting. We discussed kind of what it could be, but then I saw the one that you did. It's like a self-portrait, Detroit yeah. Rock City. Mm. And that's what you mentioned, a reproduction. Mm-hmm. But you still are painting on yeah. it. Yeah, well, yeah. You, can either, you can either purchase it as a chaclay, as they call it, which is a high-res scan on canvas, or you have a, an original in the sense when I do what's called a mixed-media original, which means that I paint on it. So it's unlike any other one. So that's what you got. <laughs> Thank you for that, man. It was amazing. And I've never had an art show or, or been to one. So you get a gallery, art gallery, and you have all 
the selections of the different pieces that you've done? Mm-hmm. Uh, I work primarily with a, a a group of galleries called Wentworth. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and uh, they book whatever times I'm available. I fly in day before I do TV to do whatever media coverage, and then there's a a, sh- a show day or two show days, and um, it's really reached a point now. Fortunately and unfortunately, that the doors are pretty much closed unless somebody has acquired a piece because it's li- they're the, like pre-buying it, sort of thing. Yeah, it, from seeing it at the gallery. Gotcha. But uh, as much as I, when I started, I loved being able to do some mingling with people who came in. It's reached a point now where it's. Uh, it's pretty much a phenomenon. I'm, <laughs> I managed to fly under the radar, perhaps in the art world, but in terms of sales, I pretty much leave everybody in the dust. Hmm. I like when you said that, uh, I asked you one time how your show went, you said all that was left was the nails hanging from the yeah. wall. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't take anything for granted, mm-hmm. so I'm very, very thankful about it. But then on the other hand, I go, why not? It's... There are pieces that I see of mine that objectively I go, gee, if I saw that and somebody else had done that, I'd go, that's great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not that different than what we were talking about earlier, that if you are relying solely on a gimmick, its lifespan is very, very short because people get tired of it. So you can use fame and success to open a door. No doubt. I, I would be kidding myself and anybody else if i didn't say that that was a advantage that i had but to have the ongoing success and acceleration that i have goes far beyond being because we said that the, the, the product has to be of quality and has to be good yeah uh there are quite a number of people who acquire my art that are not kiss fans mm-hmm. don't listen to the band mm-hmm. and that's great yeah because they enjoy your art. Sure. Right. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Going back to Kiss is funny because it seems like every September there's this myriad of anniversaries of Kiss yeah. albums, and sometimes I'll send them to them. Sometimes yeah, like, yeah. It's probably getting sick of like, oh, here's because no. sometimes I don't even I don't even know what you're you're res- <laughs> you know um, responding to, and, right? And then you tell me, so it's always. Uh, but why why always in September was there Kiss albums released? Is there a reason for that, or just coincidence? I, uh, it was so long ago. Mm-hmm that that was the norm for us but it had to do with contract contractual obligations certainly in the beginning what we do three or four albums in mm-hmm. you know, year, yeah something year, crazy yeah. but after that it it was somewhat like clockwork because we could and the record labels were asking for it 
I, I know bands that will spend years working on albums and more power to them. When I'm in work mode, I, I like working and I, I like uh, creating. So uh, working against the clock and against challenges, when we did Dress to Kill, we literally were on tour for the Hotter Than Hell album and we were playing here in California. We were playing the Santa Monica Civic opening for Jojo Gun. <laughs> and and Neil Bogart said to us, the album's tanked pretty much. You got to go in the studio and do another album. Well, we had no, we had no songs. <laughs> what do you mean we got to do another album? And sure as hell, Gene and I wrote and did Dress to Kill and wrote those songs for the most part really on the fly. Mm -hmm. uh, when uh, Peter or Ace would show up at the studio, we'd basically say, today we have a song called Love Her All I Can. Today we have a song called uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. Room and, service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that's how that came about. I like working like that. And when I did my solo album, my first solo album, uh, certainly there were songs on that album where I purposely booked time at Electric Lady with no songs and had a massive headache while I banged my head against the wall, knowing that tomorrow I'm going in the studio, I better well have a song. So I, I, I like working like that. Mm. I like working under, uh, under pressure. Well, it's a perfect segue. You mentioned the soul albums. I was well, I'm a professional. So you're I, professional. You know I thought I'd open the door for you. <laughs> Rest of you, you fed me. You, yeah, you fed yeah. me a comeback. September 18th, mm. 1978, 40 years ago. One of the, the coolest things for me, and the only time in rock and roll history that every band member releases a solo album at the same time. Mm. Beatles never did it while they were in the Beatles. Um, other than that, I can't think of any other band, Even every guy even had a solo album. Mm-hmm. So tell us kind of the concept behind that, because I think it gets un overlooked a little bit because maybe it's Kiss and the critics never appreciate some of the accomplishments. But that is a once in a rock and roll history mm. moment. Well, it, it's such an interesting time because we did it for many reasons. One of them was that Ace was being a problem at that point. Ace a problem? What? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> no, he... Uh, he was talking about going off and, and quitting the band, I, I believe. Around the time we did Kiss Meets the Phantom, that stellar film that's right up there with Gone with the Wind and <laughs> a lot of others. Um, it's actually pretty cool. We watched it on the tour of us this time. We had a good time watching it. Star Child! <laughs> Devereaux! <laughs> You're looking for someone, but it's not Kiss. <laughs> They'll lose their heads over you, Paul. Oh my gosh, what a... You know that's not Peter's voice. It, it's like a it's a, a cartoon character's voice, right? It, it's some guy because uh, Peter wouldn't come in and do his looping, as it's called, where you come in and and fix audio that needs fixing. So they had to get some guy to come in and do the the entire the entire uh, film. Just as a quick segue, when you guys were making this, what were you thinking? Like, do you think this is going to be? That's great? a good question. Yeah. What were you thinking? <laughs> Now, I ask myself that. I go, what was I thinking? Um, truly, at the beginning of doing it, I had been sold a pretty good bill of goods. Look, bands didn't do no. films. The, Beatles, the Beatles did. Yeah. Dave Clark Five did one called Having a Wild Weekend. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. And here we were being offered to do a film. 
And the way it was explained to me by Bill and everyone around us was, it's kind of going to be like a hard day's night meets Star Wars. How far we we <laughs> we fell from the target. And honestly, we really knew nothing about the concept of acting. And quite honestly, we weren't that captivating as individuals anyway. So perhaps the Beatles could go in front of a camera and be riveting. Mm. We weren't. So us being fed lines from off camera and having absolutely no idea what the concept of acting is. Sam's still in the park. Yeah. Plus, we didn't even read the script. I To this day, I don't even know... What the hell happens at the end when Devereaux turns old? We wonder what the, yeah, yeah, what happens. Yeah, well, me too. So, <laughs> so I do remember going over to Bill O'Coin, our manager, at Magic Mountain at one point and going, Bill, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, it's going to be great. Which is kind of like when you're in the studio and you do something horrible and... If you're a sucker, you'll listen to the producer or the or the engineer who says, we'll fix it in the mix. It's going to call that, yeah. You know, so <laughs> lo and behold, it was as awful as I thought. But that, and and the band was really not getting along at that point. I don't Did even, you watch it at a premiere or like? Yes. Like in a yes. theater or something? Oh my gosh. I basically slid to the floor <laughs> under my chair. Because if you think it, it's, it's kind of dodgy on a, on a small screen, you should see it in a movie theater where you see the wires lifting the box with the <laughs> talismans in it. Um, so anyway, so from from there, a segment the band was huge at this point in time. Yes, you had done all these like, a live one, and then yeah. you know, destroy yeah, yeah, rock yeah. all over live two. So it was things were going really great for the band, but you're saying that you starting to well, we, we there were certainly cracks mm -hmm. in in everything. Um, we worked really hard to keep it together and to maintain a continuity of everything being okay. And everything wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. And we did have a meeting in one of the trailers during Kiss Me's the Phantom, and A said he wanted out. And Bill said, why don't you do a solo album? Matter of fact, why doesn't everybody do a solo album? It was kind of like, I, I think of it as putting a band-aid on a gaping wound it held for a while but then you know all hell broke loose so we wound up doing uh separate albums and interestingly i was more concerned with whether ace could even do an album because he was so undependable and he turned out a terrific terrific album i don't know whether the motivation was to prove a point, but he did a, he did a great album, and some of the other guys didn't do great <laughs> albums. Um, but in any case, it was it was a real interesting time for us, and and uh, we were on a path to to becoming very lost, mm -hmm. and uh, it only got more murky with time. But doing my solo album, my, I can only speak for myself, was a great, great experience. It didn't veer very far from what Kiss mm -hmm. does, but guess what? I guess that says something about me and my, my role in the band. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to reinvent the wheel, and I wasn't going to change what I do. So, yeah, it's, uh, 
It's probably a more dramatic and and um, self-examining version of Kiss. So when you guys decide, like Bill says, why don't you guys all do a solo? Is it kind of mm. like, okay, let's do it and break, and you guys go to mm-hmm. four corners of the earth and then reconvene six months and throw the tape down and say, here's what I got? Not not far from that, but um, interesting. Bill was so smart, so smart. I just remember thinking, what what is my cover going to be? And uh, what, what am I going to call the album? And Bill was like, no, no. All the albums will say Kiss on them, and they'll all have the same cover in the sense that the same person will do them. So they would be cohesive, at least uh, in look. And interestingly, when they came out, Neil Bogart, who was the the founder of Casablanca Records, shipped a million of each album to, I guess, hype the album. Well... We, you, you're not going to sell four million albums, not back then. So some people looked at it as a disaster because each album sold somewhere around 500,000. Well, geez, 500,000 albums. It's gold. Yeah. In 1978 or 77 was quite a success. So anyway, so we, we all went off on our own and needed some, some time away from each other. And uh, it was interesting to, to see what each person came back with. Was it competitive? Sure. Mm-hmm. Of course, everybody, everybody had a point that they wanted to prove. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to... Uh, what did you want to prove? That's a good question. What did I want to prove? Um, I don't want to come across as guiltless, but I don't, I don't know that I had much to prove because I proved it in the band. I think some other people understandably wanted to prove a point because they weren't as well represented in the band. I just wanted to have the freedom to do exactly what I wanted without taking into account really anybody else's opinion. So I think that that's Mm -hmm. a difference perhaps between my album and Ace's is Ace clearly had a point to make, and and probably, although he came across as very happy-go-lucky and and lighthearted, clearly had a frustration. And uh, to his credit, he made something of it because I worried more about him. Peter, I didn't worry about because Peter was going to have somebody else in the studio orchestrate what he was doing, so to speak. But Ace did a great job. And uh, I was I was real happy with my album, and still am. It's it's uh, it's not perfect in the sense of what it could have been, audio wise or playing wise, but it's it's exactly where I was at. And uh, I remember most of the tracks, probably about I'd say five or six of the tracks, were actually cut as demos. And then when I went in. And said, okay, now we'll do them for real. And we started cutting. I went, I like the demos more. And that's what the tracks were built on. So, let's see, Tonight You Belong to Me, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, Ain't Quite Right, Move On. It was a bunch of songs that basically I, I went in and flew by the seat of my pants and, and figured, okay, I'll recut these. I couldn't cut them with the off-the-cuff intensity that they had. 
you know, I've done a podcast before with the guys from Avenged Sevenfold, and it's called the, the, the Perfect Album. Is there such a thing? And every song has to be A minus or better. And I think that Paul Stanley, for me, is a perfect album. Although Hold Me, Touch Me, it's kind of on I'm on the fence about that. Mm-hmm. Did you write all of those songs for the album, or totally did, all of them? Absolutely. Wow. I'm 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 not somebody who saves songs. I don't have old songs as a rule sitting around. I write specifically for a project. And if you listen to the Love Gun album, those songs were written for the Love Gun album. Mm. My solo album, those songs were written for my solo album. Do you think, because I mean, like, there's so many great songs on it. It's just like, it's such a, a great vibe with like dynamically with mm-hmm. with tonight you belong to me mm-hmm. and, and take me away and ain't quite right mm-hmm. but there's like blasting rockers i mean you played wouldn't you like to know me last year on the kiss cruise mm-hmm. which i think people really enjoyed yeah it was great um and to me it's like that is the the, the best of the soul albums because like you said it, it's the most kiss like but in the best possible way do you think if any of those songs were released as a kiss song that, that there would have been a bigger bigger hit off the record shall we say um that's a good question like wouldn't you like to know me like if that was the first single from you know dynasty for example if you didn't if you weren't moving in a different direction it's that that's a 70s classic from kiss um i don't know that it would have sounded like that Mm -hmm. because some people in the band wouldn't have played like that or couldn't play like gotcha or wouldn't play like that yeah so uh it makes sense that album is pure me Mm -hmm. i had people i really enjoyed being in the studio with i had pretty much an east coast team that i recorded with and a west coast team and uh everything from ain't quite right to uh love in chains this just really cool stuff when i listen to it now it's kind of like a diary Mm -hmm. of what was going on in my life at that point did you produce that record Yeah, I wound up producing. Did you look for a producer at first? Yes, yes. Jeff Glicksman, who had done Kansas. Once I started to record, quote-unquote, for real, when I was going to re-record everything, I had Jeff on board. And uh, it just didn't work. Great guy, but I knew what I wanted to do. And we couldn't have two captains. So that didn't last long. And I was disappointed, but quite honestly, um, I don't know that I was truly in a collaborative spirit. I don't really know that uh, that was something I wanted to do. And probably not unlike a, a lot of things that went on at that time. I wasn't that open to altering things. I wanted to do things my way. Mm-hmm. I wanted to to fully realize whatever I was hearing in my head. How was it uh, working? I know Bob Kulik played guitar mm-hmm. on their album. Mm-hmm. Was he the first guy you thought of? Totally. Mm-hmm. When I when I put the band together in New York to cut tracks, it was very informal. Everybody learned songs in the studio. It was Bob and uh, Steve Buslow, great bass player who played with Meatloaf for quite a while. And... Um, Richie Fontana, who was a, a drummer in Billy Squire's old band, which was uh, called Piper. Piper. So that was really, that was that was the band. And it was just, it was fun. I would just say, hey, we're, we're going in the studio tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
and everybody would show up and I'd play them a song. So that was great. And then when we hit the West Coast, there was a guy named Eric Nelson who played with um, Nick Gilder, I think, and Craig Cramp, who was once in a an L.A.-based band called The Robs. And Craig wound up playing with Kim Carnes and a lot of other people, but he was terrific. And uh, Bob was the, the common thread on both coasts. And then Carmine came in to cut right. some tracks. And, and Carmine is phenomenal. You can't stand in front of his drums when he plays. I've never seen air move. Wow. The way. He hits that hard? Just, hmm. not only does he hit hard, but the air pushing out of his bass drums is crazy. So <laughs> it, it was terrific, although other than cutting um, Take right. Me Away Together is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost a showcase for him. Yeah, he's like a, a tank. So it was great, but again, we cut a, we recut some songs, and I just thought, as great as it was, I liked the simplicity and spontaneity of those earlier demos. So we, I just went back to those. Did you write, I mean, when, when you had Carmine come in, did you always envision like the kind of fade out drum solos for that? Or did you just say, hey, we've got Carmine Appice, why don't you do some shit? I knew Carmine for a long time and I saw the fudge. I saw Vanilla Fudge in New York opening for the Yardbirds with Jimmy Page. Mm. And um, I mean, Carmine is, is really one of those quintessential English drummers who's not from England. Yeah. And the song was perfect for him. And yeah, you're in the studio, you go, do some of that Carmine stuff, you know. Just, uh, yeah. it's terrific. It's, it, it was a terrific time. I, I can't say enough about that album because uh, it was personal and it was uh, totally undiluted me and I, I enjoyed it tremendously. I like the, the the Take Me Away and, and Together uh, mm -hmm. Tonight You Belong to Me because they were epic songs. They mm -hmm. were over five minutes each, and they were different from the other kind of three-and-a-half-minute, four-on-the-floor rockers. Mm. It gave it more of a, I'm not going to say a proggy standpoint because that's not it, but it just gave it a little bit more power that those songs were longer. Well, I, I think with some songs, I loved the juxtaposition, that's a great word, and contrast of dark and light or, or fast and slow. So whether it was I Want You or Tonight You Belong to Me, I think setting a song up with something that sets one mood and then kicking people in the ass is, uh, I've en I enjoy that. And, and uh, Tonight You Belong to Me was a great song. I played that on my, my last solo tour. Yeah. And it just killed. The band killed. Those, those guys... The rock star guys. Yeah, we, you know, we're we're in touch with each other, and it's always like, why don't we do another gig? Why don't we? <laughs> uh, and I, I'll watch, um, I'll watch the voice and see Nate playing drums and mm -hmm. and uh, Sasha playing bass and. Oh, they're on the voice now. Yeah, they've been on there for for years. I think and Paul Merkovich is like the MD yeah. for Australian Voice or something. Yeah, and he was he was on Voice here and. Uh, Sasha play or not Sasha the guitar player that's on your cruise all the time. Raphael. Raphael, yeah. Yeah, Raphael was uh he was with Pink and some other people but Raphael was uh, in uh on Rockstar and I think something else after that. Those guys we it killed it. it was slamming. Yeah. It was slamming. Did you did you uh, had you ever played any of those songs live before? 
the in '88 oh, when I did right. when Eric Singer was was the right. drummer. We were just talking about that today. We did those songs. We played them at a tempo that is unbelievable. <laughs> those '80s Kiss for oh you. Oh my though. gosh! <laughs> I hear some of that stuff and I go, no groove, no pocket, just you know, like Ramon's songs. Everything we played was Jesus Christ. Slow down. So. On on the, the this last tour, Live to Win tour, we played those songs the way yeah. they were meant to be played at the tempos they 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 should have been at. Yeah, you did. Uh, I think you will. You like you did uh, together as one. Oh, not together as one. Uh, tonight you belong to me. I think when you, you like to on. know me, you want to know me. Goodbye. Goodbye. That's right. Goodbye was. That's one of my favorite songs. That's got a great scream in it, right? That. <laughs> yeah. 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 Doing my my little. Singing along with the guitar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the cover. Mm. You mentioned it. It's still iconic to this day, those four covers. And not just as the covers of the albums. There's T-shirts. There's posters. When mm. you see Kiss, those are the iconic Kiss images. Mm -hmm. who, who painted that? Do you recall? A guy, yes, I do. A guy named Emil Caragotti. And he was a classically trained artist. I believe Bill must have brought him in. Mm. And uh, he did he did the covers and they, did they're... you did you like because that was the first appearance of like each Kiss member having a different color. color. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, that's where the whole color thing came in. I think they asked us what colors we wanted to be, and uh, I know that I picked purple and and uh, Gene picked red and. Um, Okay, those ones are taken. What do you want to go with? <laughs> uh, but uh, Ace was blue and Peter was, was green. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, that was the the first introduction of the color, which got completely out of hand. Because yeah, the Dynasty, you based oh little costumes God. on those colors. Yeah, that was a that was like Kiss as Vegas showgirls. <laughs> yeah, I remember all that. Oh my gosh, Peter had like the lions' wow. heads as shoulder pads. Yeah. And... Oh, it was it was it was nuts so when when these records were ready to be listened to mm. in you know kiss beatles lore when help when the beatles mm. walk in four doors they'll live in the same house you're imagining yeah. your favorite band hanging out all the time did you guys have a listening party with all four did you just put them out no, no. We, we we didn't uh we didn't do that mm. I, I i remember going up to bill's office and hearing ace's album and thinking it was terrific it must you know, have blown you away totally yeah. i was uh wow why doesn't you know why doesn't he do that with us <laughs> rip it out was great and uh speeding back to my, my baby, baby ozone yeah. all that stuff was re really yeah. cool fraction mirror was that on there yeah yeah so it was it was really great i didn't hear anybody's album with them present but i did hear all the albums mm -hmm. what did you think of jeans I was disappointed. Hmm. I was disappointed. Gene's so talented, and I felt like um, it was uh, overblown and was unnecessarily packed with things that it became a circus mm -hmm. instead of uh, great music, which Gene, for me, has always been capable of, and. He sometimes, you know, over the decades, has gotten more involved with the 
trappings of something instead of the the core of it and right. it disappointed me it disappointed me because at the end of the day i root for them mm-hmm. and uh as a brother and a fan i wanted more from him i think coming from a standpoint because i didn't get the kiss albums to about 10 years later you know and i remember 88 89 that time frame i think the two that were most kiss like paul and ace were my favorites and Peters and Jeans were more of a quote-unquote solo record where you're just doing whatever you would want to do, which I appreciate the thought. Well, we were all doing what we wanted to do. Right. Um, But not staying within the confines of what Kiss is, because Gene could have written a lot of better rock and roll songs, but he decided to do When You Wish Upon a Star, for example, because that meant something to him. Right, which I I didn't have a problem with at all. Mm -hmm. I just didn't need a cast of Lassie and Rinton Tin. You <laughs> he know, called the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Beatlemania. It, it turned into a zoo. Mm. And I wanted more from him. If I'm ever disappointed by something he does, it's only because I think he can do more. What did you think of Peter's? Another solo record where he's doing something completely out of the box. Oh, this'll this'll light up the internet. <laughs> this'll this'll burn up the wires. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was pretty awful. Mm. But honestly, I thought that Vinnie Poncio or or whoever he brought into the studio would craft something that would have shown him off well. And again, I was disappointed. I hoped for something that would enhance him gotcha, right. and, and elevate him. Honestly, I had everything to gain by everybody having great albums. I was uh, disappointed with Gene's album only because I wanted more from him. I wanted the Gene that I know and doing what he he was capable of instead of, you know, a cast of thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's a lot of parallels between the Beatles and Kiss. And it's, oh boy, uh, am I going to get it? <laughs> you love it. Um, Ace is always kind of the George Harrison of Kiss in a, in a certain way. And to me, the Ace solo album reminds me a lot of All Things Must Pass when it came out and that George had all of these songs stored up and ready to go, but he was only getting one song per album. With, with... But I believe Ace wrote all those songs for the album. Wow. I do. I do. Uh, we never heard any of those songs. Wow. But uh, look, for anybody to make a comparison between us and the Beatles is a, <laughs> you know, I go hold hold on there, okay? <laughs> you know, that's that's lofty air. That's that's sacred air. You know, I I don't live up there. You, you seen the Beatles picture with a kiss paint on it? I think yes. I said that to you once. Yeah, yeah, that's I great. love it. Yeah, it's love great. It. But like you said, like if Ace really wrote all those for that record mm-hmm. then he really was out to prove something to you guys i believe and so to the world i believe so and kudos to him man he he came through i was pleasantly mm-hmm. shocked smiling when i heard it because it was that good it was as though i got to see a hidden side of somebody who and a great side of somebody mm-hmm. that i didn't know was there 
just a few more things as we wind down here. When the albums came out, you mentioned there was a lot of competition. Were you guys watching the charts? Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course we were. Uh, and um, I think the Ace and Gene still are at odds at who's sold the most. But Ace has had the biggest hit with New York Groove. Yes. That was a legit yes. hit. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, Russ Ballard wrote that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course we were all all picking up the trades every week to see <laughs> who was doing what and who sold what. Were you? Did you have any say in what the single was going to be? Because it was Hold Me, Touch Me. Yeah. The one song that I said is not the... Right. The right. rocker of the bunch, shall yeah. we say. I can't say that I remember, mm. but... Uh, it probably wasn't the best choice, but it had its place on there. Um, Especially for you as the star yeah, child, you know? It, yeah. To my benefit and, and maybe against what I do, I'm pretty broad in in, in my, my taste. And uh, I didn't want to be handcuffed then, and I don't want to be handcuffed mm-hmm. now. I don't want to be told what I can or can't do or what's appropriate and not appropriate. Hopefully... I live up to people's expectations, but not because I want to, because if you're a fan, I would like to think that you're a fan of the premise of the band. And the premise of the band is we do what we want, but we do it with respect. But I didn't get into this to to second guess the public. I got into this to be the best me I can be. And... You get your vote by coming to shows or not coming to shows, buying albums or not buying albums. So um, my only rule is no rules. I want to write I Was Made for Loving You. I want to write Hard Luck Woman. Mm -hmm. Why not? If I can see down the road, why shouldn't I go down the road? Um, On the Dynasty Tour, you guys played one song Mm -hmm. from each solo album. Mm -hmm. Um, I think yours was Move On. Yes. Gene was radioactive, Ace was mm-hmm. near Groove, and Peter was tossing and turning. Did you help him decide, or did he, was that a collective decision? Yes, it to was. A collect- push the albums. It was a collective decision to try to play things that would work in the show, and that were not contrary to to the band. Mm-hmm. So we picked songs that uh, we could do. You know, again, we were walking into. An abyss. We we were on a path that it would take us years to find our way back from. Dynasty led to Unmasked, which led to Elder, Elder, the Elder, and at that point, with personnel changes and with a, a rapid decline in the band, all of a sudden, I think we coveted and valued so much more. Well, perhaps we took for granted. Mm. And at that point, it was Gene and I, and it was, let's fight our way back. People don't necessarily forgive you overnight. And some people felt uh, betrayed or, or, or disappointed. And it was going to take quite a while and a lot of touring and a lot of uh, hard work to get some people back. Some people never came back. Other people came on board. And here we are, 40, <laughs> what, 45 years later? Yeah. yeah. Last two questions. What's your favorite song uh, or favorite songs on Paul Stanley? Hmm. Tonight You Belong to Me, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, and Goodbye. Last question. Would you ever do another solo record 
Or would you ever do another Kiss record or a song? Whatever I say, I get, I, I get internet some, get ready, and I get held to. Hey, you said, <laughs> you said you wouldn't, or you would, and now you don't. Possibility, the possibility. Um, I don't foresee doing any more Kiss mm. recordings, simply because we could do Let It Be, and people would go, "That's really great." Now, now play Shout It Out Loud. <laughs> so. I'm not motivated to do it. Mm -hmm. I totally understand the the premise that uh, what we did 20, 30, 40 years ago is so uh, stamped in, indelibly into people yeah. as a, a time time frame. It's the soundtrack of your life yeah, in a lot of ways. That yeah. nothing, the greatest song in the world, if we if we wrote tomorrow, pales next to that. So again. Modern Day Delilah, great song. Hello Hallelujah, great song. But maybe in 20 or 30 years, you'll ask people who who heard that and they'll say, boy, that, that's classic kiss. Lick it up as classic kiss to people who came on board then. Like me. Yeah. So I'd rather find other musical outlets, whether it's another solo album which wouldn't sound like Live to Win because mm -hmm. Live to Win was interesting, but Live to Win was almost a conscious effort to not redo what I had done. But sometimes, interestingly, once again, when you stop doing something or you move too far away from it, you find yourself longing to go back. So if I did another solo album, would it sound more like the first album? Yeah. I'm a guitar, you know, a guitar player. I've, that's what I do. I plug in and, and, and crank the amp. So I would do that. And uh, I'm far from done with Soul Station. That's mm -hmm. that's just, I have such a ball with, with that music and those people. So there's all kinds of opportunities that we're looking at for that. Right. So as far as recording, who knows? But Kiss, I, I, I don't see it. And yet, Tomorrow I might. Because if you don't, that means the last recorded song you ever did was Don't Touch My Ascot. That's right. We do. That's right. And <laughs> what a classic. What a classic. Maybe they, they can uh, overdub that on Kiss Meets the Phantom. <laughs> Sam's still in the park. Sam's in the park. Paul, great talking to you. And like I said, Soul Station, End of the Road, those are two other podcasts that we'll do another time. Sure. But um, yeah, like I said, man, always a pleasure to be here in your man cave. I'm going to put on my Pumas later on and go, go stare at my painting. Go styling. <laughs> Thanks, man. Listen, I want to tell you all, I want to tell you, you've been a dynamite audience and you deserve to give yourselves a round of applause. Let's go. All right, thanks again to Paul Stanley. Always an awesome guest and one of my favorite people. Thanks to Paul for the uh, pair of Kiss Puma sneakers. If you can get your hands on a pair when they re-release them, do it. They're very, very cool. And, of course, Paul Stanley, 1978 solo album, one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, uh, hopefully they do do another Kiss song because if you haven't heard Don't Touch My Ascot from the Scooby-Doo movie, uh, it's not a great way to end off an amazing career. Of course, the end of the road tour tickets about ready to go and sell for that. But we are here to talk about Paul Stanley and uh, we'll do the end of the road 
later on. But speaking of end of the road, we're reaching the end of the lake, end of the ocean, as we get closer to Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, only 10 days away. We're down to less than 10 cabins available. We're getting closer and closer than ever to a sell. Listen, I know it's late. If you want to treat yourself, come on board, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. you still got time. You're going to see that huge main event, the biggest main event of the year, Alpha Club versus Bullet Club, Chris Jericho and the Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega, Marty Skrull, and Cody Rhodes. Listen, if you can't make the, the, the ship, I understand, but you can still see that match and the entire Sea of Honor tournament, okay? You can see the whole thing. Bracket A, Dalton Castle versus Matt Taven, uh, uh, Chris Daniels versus Delirious, Marty Skrull versus Rhett Titus, Silas Young versus Flip Gordon, Bracket B, Mark Briscoe versus Will Ferrara, Adam Page versus Frankie Kazarian, Cheeseburger versus the Beer City Bruiser, Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. You will see all those matches plus the biggest main event of the year, the Alpha Club versus the Bullet Club. All you got to do is go to Fight TV November 3rd uh, at 8 p.m. at night, fight.tv. You can pre-order the the pay-per-view now. We are streaming, streaming for vengeance November 3rd only on Fight TV. Go check it out. Pre-order now to see the Alpha Club versus the Bullet Club. If you want to get a last-minute cabin, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. I mean, we're all ready to go, man. We are ready to rock it. And also, something else very cool, October 23rd, Travel Channel, next Tuesday. It's Hunting Monsters. Chris Jericho, Hunting Monsters. I went searching in the Louisiana bayous for the Honey Island Swamp Monster, the Rougarou, Voodoo Priestesses, Ghosts, Paranormal Activity. This show, you're not going to want to miss it. Very, very uh, cool. If you like the paranormal show, shows that i do here on talk is jericho it's chris jericho hunting monsters and to preview that on friday it's hunting monsters with mk davis he's going to tell us all about the honey island swamp monster he was the expert that i worked with uh, on the travels channel special chris jericho hunting monsters debuting october 23rd at 10 uh eastern 9 central the travel channel we're going to be talking about all of this stuff uh, on friday hunting monsters Okay, that's what the name of the show is going to be. Hunting Monsters with Chris Jericho. Come discover the legend of the Honey Island Swamp Monster and the Rougarou and talk about Bigfoot, all sorts of cryptozoology type of uh, wonderments. Come check it out on Friday. MK Davis will be here, cryptozoologist. I'll be here, and we're going to talk all about some of the stuff that's going to happen and has happened on, uh, on Chris Jericho Hunting Monsters that's going to air on the Travel Channel. So we'll see you all on Friday as we get closer to Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we will see you on Friday. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. And tonight, you belong to Paul Stanley. And me, and tonight you belong to Paul Stanley and me. See you on Friday. Oh yeah.